Hey everyone, welcome back to the third episode of the Face to Face podcast. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm Sean. And I'm Jerry. And for our third episode, we have a very special guest, Ms. Hasselman. Uh, Ms. Hasselman, can you introduce a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm an English teacher at John Burroughs School. I teach eighth and ninth grade. I've actually taught most, I've, ta- I've taught everyone in this room, actually, at one point. Um, so I assume that's part of the reason why I'm here. <laughs> All right, so um, you teach eighth and ninth grade, so I imagine there's a lot of different books and different genres that you teach. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all of these books uh, that you teach in this curriculum, what would like what would you say are your favorites, or which ones stand out to you? Um, I think I think the ones that stand out to me are definitely Catcher in the Rye. I actually like teaching that book surprisingly, but it always happens to fall around the time the term paper is happening for ninth grade. So it's. Um, <laughs> people don't really have the emotional width to uh, actually expand, to actually do work with that book. Um, the other one I do like is, I do like Annie John. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a book that I personally like, but I think it's fun to teach. Whereas Catcher in the Rye is like the opposite. I actually like that book, but it's not that fun to teach. That's, that's sort of what I think. Uh, is the persona of Holden Caulfield is that just, you just, like, enjoy reading about him? <laughs> um, I think he's so incredibly full of himself that I think he's really fun to read. He's, he's a little bit like a mystery in himself where it's fun to play, a, play, like, a kind of a game with him. Like, the author is very obviously putting forward this character who has incredibly low self-awareness, but he also gives you enough clues that you can sort of start to f- see around Holden. So it feels a little bit like I'm like a murder mystery game that I play with J.D. Salinger, if that makes sense. So I remember you were talking about this in class, but why do you think Catcher in the Rye is like a sort of like a manifesto for so many troubled teenagers? I think so. One thing that I think is really interesting is that a lot of adults will say, oh, that was just like that's just how it is when you're a teenager is that you feel so incredibly upset and so jaded by the world and like to the point where either you want to get rid of the whole world around you or you want to get rid of yourself, right? Like you have such an incredibly big feeling about everything that's happening. And I have a lot of uh, adults who'd say, oh, you know, that's just, that's just how it is when you're a teenager. And it's sort of really sad when people say that because I'm like, well, it shouldn't be that way, right? And I think when you're a teenager, you're really in a very precarious part of your life where if someone isn't there for you, like if you don't have a Phoebe, um, you can go down a really dark path. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, um, have, do you have any experience in that field? <laughs> experience in, in that trauma? field? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, experience. I mean, I've seen enough people. I grew up in like a sort of generation where... Uh, mental health and mental illness was really highly visible because I was the first generation on the internet. And the internet back then was still totally unpoliced. It wasn't sanitized like it is in terms of Twitter today where there's like actual moderators. Um, It was just a total free-for-all, right? Like people could just go on forum boards and post whatever they wanted. Um, And you really started to see some you really started to see the insides of people's brains that way. (laughs) And it was 
a very interesting experience, and a lot of people, I think, who grew up alongside me didn't always make it through to the end, right? Like, they didn't always make it out of school wholly intact. And I saw that happen to a bunch of my friends. So I'm actually one of the more better off emotionally, spiritually, physically, (laughs) all of that stuff. Um, A little bit dark and depressing. So has the... uh like the internet or the early development of the internet like affect you? Um, man, I miss that really unrestricted freedom, right? I mean, I think that you feel also like you have a lot of freedom when you go online, right, onto social media and stuff like that. Mm. For us, it was like even more so because <laughs> there wasn't, there was, it wasn't like, so I'm not on TikTok, actually. But my sense is that there is some level of, like, curation with, like, the algorithm and, like, certain content is banned. And it was, like, in certain places of the Internet when I was 16 that that the algorithm didn't exist. Sometimes you open the web page and it was, like, something genuinely really horrible. Mm. <laughs> um Mm, I'll I'll leave it at that. It was genuinely something really horrible. Um, But it really made you um, a critical reader. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It made you aware of the fact you can't just go around trusting people blindly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So so I was just wondering, um, there's like in the English curriculum, there's a lot of different books, um, Mm -hmm. like some of them short stories, and some of them are like more, I don't know, deeper books. And so I was wondering, is there like a, a goal for what um, teachers want English students to like take away from those books and like the combination of those? Is it like a, like a new perspective to like see the world or is it more some of it just like English based, like how to analyze a book and how to write an essay about it? Oh yeah, they, they talk in like the English curriculum about windows and mirrors, right? Where some texts will show you something about yourself and your own experience. And then other books will be a window into somebody else's experience. And I think that's like a, it's a fine binary to start off with, right? Which is that you want to be able to have books where you can see your own experiences into it. But then sometimes what you run into with the whole, the mirror, the Windows text, sorry, the text where you're supposed to see into someone else's life, is then, then you sort of like take that as, if this is the only book that I ever read about a girl living in the Caribbean, right, for example, with Annie John, this is the only book I ever read about, about a girl in the Caribbean, that's, I'm going to take this as like a, I'm going to take this as like the one true only example of what that life is like. And I think sometimes sometimes you can sort of run into a problem with that. Um, when it comes to each book, I think each teacher really has a different takeaway. Um, I know a lot of teachers really, for example, Cash in the Rice, since that's the one we're talking about, a lot of teachers do teach it as a, this is the classic coming-of-age story, right? Everyone goes through this traumatic feeling of loss of being lost because you've let go of your childhood and you're going into adulthood and I look at Holden and I'm like that's not normal (laughs) I don't think that that's really like exemplary of what teenagers go through and I think that's that's apparent if you talk to any teenager right so I think a lot of teachers teach the same books in very very different ways yeah
what made you want to become a teacher? And if you if you didn't want to become a teacher, like what else would you want to do? Uh, I think I did actually always want to be a teacher. I remember I was like as young as as young as kindergarten, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I didn't really know all of the stuff that would be involved in being a teacher, though. <laughs> was it like English specifically yeah. or, or just any? I always liked English, yeah. So mm. I thought when I was a kid, I always thought that English class was sort of like the sanctuary space, right? Where it's like so many of the other classes are really difficult, but you can walk into the English class and maybe you can BS your way through the homework. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not that difficult. Um or maybe it's just a little bit more relaxed to be able to talk about like a story and that's at the very least adjacently fun, right? Rather than having to do something that maybe you don't care too much about. Maybe I don't care about ions. So I always thought that English class should be something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also maybe that makes me too chill of a teacher. <laughs> do, you, do you think that the beauty in English is like the grammar or like the actual like creative uh, like freedom that somebody has when they're writing? You know, um, Mr. Front actually said this, was that he, he would teach for free, but he gets paid to grade, right? Is, is that the grading is the really rough part. And that's very much the case with the English classroom, right? Is that the real beauty mm-hmm. is in the creative writing and it's in the the self-expression, the exploration, the going and making something out of your assignment on your own. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I feel a little bit like I get paid to take marks off of papers <laughs> and to say, oh, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. And I, I don't want to say that someone's story idea is wrong, right? Or someone's Mm -hmm. creative idea was wrong because they're not usually, right? Um, There's no such thing as like a wrong creative idea. There's ones that are not as strong as others, but I wouldn't say that they're wrong. So in the end, I wind up mostly just harping on grammar. How did you come from Hawaii and then come to St. Louis? Um... I got recruited to a college in the middle of nowhere, rural Massachusetts, to play golf there. Yeah. Um, and Were you like a prodigy? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was real bad at it, actually. Um, I couldn't hit the ball very far. But I was, I was very precise. So that was the good one on thing. Good on the putting green? Yeah. I, had, I, was, I was good on the putting green. Um, I didn't miss fairways. And I also kept my cool under pressure. Do you, do you still golf? God, no. Oh. No, I did that to get into college. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did that for the free ride. Uh, okay. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this week is Pride Week for Burroughs. And we were wondering if you'd be comfortable um, sharing some parts of your uh, gender identity or sexual orientation um, with us. Um, and what have these queer experiences been like? Mm. Big question mark for a lot of those. Um, it's sort of one of those things where they, they say that like identity is a, is a journey. So you sort of figure things out as you go. Um, I would say, mm, 
I don't know if this word these words would mean anything to you, but like the technical term would be homo romantic, right? Um, of romantic interest in same sex partners. Um, but I am also asexual, right? So that's also like a big that's also a big part of it. So it doesn't yeah. really make sense necessarily to say like lesbian. Um, what was the other question? I forgot. Um, like what have your queer experiences been like? Like talk about like sort of the journey that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, in high school, I, I mean, I didn't really like think about it. I sort of like missed the memo on a lot of people becoming interested in like other people. And I, I mean, like I had crushes, but I did it sort of didn't understand because I was asexual, right? I didn't really understand what the interest in um, sexual attraction was at the Sorry, time. Sorry, can you remind me what uh, asexual means? Doesn't experience sexual attraction. Okay, so it's like it's like yeah. they like the person, uh, regard like it's completely like discounting like say like bodily figure. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's Is that a, a good explanation. I mean, yeah, it's it's like it's like you like the person and you the can, personality. This can be like romantic. Yeah, like you're, not like sexual. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Doesn't experience sexual attraction. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. This is what <laughs> it is. That's better. Yeah. Um, so I sort of didn't really, I was sort of, I didn't really know what was going on when I was in high school. Um, and then I got to college and everything was worse because then hookup culture and like drinking culture and parties became a really big thing. And I also attended a college that was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so there wasn't too much else to do other than to drink and have to have parties, right? So I didn't have too much else. I didn't really have much else to do. And that sort of caused a big social rift between myself and everybody else who were theoretically supposed to be my friends. So that was a little bit of an isolating time. There was maybe, I think, like one lesbian on the entire campus. (laughs) I think there was maybe more, but we didn't really find each other. So it was pretty, it was, it was pretty rough for for a second. Um, And then afterwards, I went to Boston and Boston is a very... It's a, it's a big LGBTQ city, right? Like, there's a lot happening in that town. And I think that's when when I s- sort of started to come out of my shell or to just come out in general, right? Um, and I was also sufficiently far away from family and friends that I knew in high school, so I didn't have to really explain myself in that front. And then now I'm here. And now I'm at this school that really tries its best to encourage everybody else to be, or encourages everybody to be their most authentic self. So I'm always very keenly aware, like the invitation is there. So um, when you say like tries its best, do you think there's like um, a best way for people to be educated about like um, LGBTQ topics Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, other similar, similar discussions? I don't know if there is a best way. I don't know if there's any best way to educate anyone about anything, right? I think a one-size-all, one-size-fits-all approach is just sort of always going to fail. And part of one of the issues, I think, of schools nowadays is that they try, they have to, right? They have to try and Mm -hmm. educate bodies of, like, 400 kids at a time. And so do I think that there's a best way? No. I think they're really doing the best, though. I think really the one of the big issues is there's just not enough like queer faculty to really for us to be visible, right? So there isn't 
as much consciousness as there could be. Although I understand like there is incredibly well-intentioned actions that are occurring. So uh, being a teacher at Burroughs, how do you feel your identity has maybe changed your teaching experience? Mm, I would say I sure do have like a different set of knowledge than I think a straight teacher would. So that's that's one. But I think there's more to teaching than to just having a body of knowledge. Yeah. There's a lot of methodological approach that gets changed when you are coming at things from by design, right? I am not really able to conform to really binary thinking, right? Of thinking that it's like either absolutely good or absolutely bad, right? For example. So because I haven't really been able to conform to those rigid binaries due to my experiences as in the LGBTQ community, it's my instinct is always to find the nuance in something, right? Whenever I read a book and whenever I teach a book, which is, yeah, I mean, I would say that it informs it that way. But I guess you could you could also say like um, it's similar with creative writing and, and writing in general. Like there's a lot of and art. I guess there's a lot of um, subjective stuff, and it's not like black and white. It's almost basically never black and white. So mm-hmm. there's always um, lots of stuff in between where some some may be good, some may be bad, or maybe not good and bad. But mm-hmm. um, that's I guess it's always very uh, it's not usually not like a binary like that. Yeah, and I think that especially the idea that it's not a binary, um, I guess there's a way of people have started to move away from black and white thinking of saying, well, there are shades of gray in the middle, right? And from sort of my dealings with the LGBTQ community, my experience has always sort of been, well, it's not even a matter of black and white or gray. It's there's colors like red and orange and blue and green. Like there are different, it's, better to put a qualitative estimate on something rather than to think about it on a sliding scale, right? Blue is, it's comparing blue to yellow is like comparing apples to oranges. Why would you do that, right? Yeah. So no sense in comparing war and peace to a haiku. So do you have any like, um, actually, no, let me ask this question. Um, So do you, like, I know there's like a lot of LGBTQ people who still feel um, like th- who still feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and they still haven't, you know, met the end of their journey. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you do you feel comfortable, or do you feel like you're at the end of your journey and you found yourself? Um. Hmm. I think we're the oldest that we're ever going to get. Or sorry, we are always the oldest that we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. like, you guys are 15? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's like 15 is the oldest you've ever been, right? I'm the oldest I've ever been. So I always feel like I'm the most fully formed human being I've ever been, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. maybe one day, like 10 years from now, I will be even more comfortable <laughs> in my skin. But for right now, I think I'm so much further away from who I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I would say, yeah, I mean, I think as corny as it sounds for people who are 
LGBTQ and they're at boroughs and they're in high school and they are not comfortable in their own skin, every day sucks. It gets better. Like it sounds corny. That's it's the old the old campaign from the two thousands. It gets better, but it does actually. You grow up. You live. Surprisingly. <laughs> Ask the question, somebody. <laughs> it was a little bit dark, yeah. Yeah. So, do you have like any advice for, um, you know, people who don't feel comfortable in their own skin? Um, like how to go about uh, starting their own identity journey or like sort of finding yourself? Like any advice? Because you've been through, you know, mm -hmm. obviously your own journey. I think my big advice, I don't know if it's a big advice. Just take this as like a small advice. It doesn't, it's not like a silver bullet or anything, right? It's, it's just like one thing that I would say validation and support and connection to other people, having other people who validate you, it's more important to some people than it is to others, right? And some people can say, hey, you know what? Screw other people. I don't care what they think, right? I'm just going to do my own thing. And it's like, if that works for you, great. I'm so glad, right? Yeah. For other people, it might not, right? Mm -hmm. So try and figure out how much of that you might need. How much of other people's validation do you want? And then make sure you're in the right environment to flourish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess part of that is uh, how accepting like your environment is yeah mm -hmm. so um like how can how can we get others to uh, be more open-minded about mm. um like lgbtq ideas and topics and yeah. mm -hmm. um, queer yeah. identity mm -hmm. you know when i say like put yourself into an environment that you can flourish in i think a lot of that is also like making sure that you put yourself into an environment that is accepting of who you are right um, and sometimes you don't get that choice. You don't get that option, right? Especially with kids, right? Like you, you attend the school because your parents say that you got it, right? And sometimes like your parents might be part of the reason you're like not comfortable. Right. And it's like, then, then you're really stuck, right? Unless you want to go cut them off. Um, the, the way to make a change is really ironically to speak face to face with somebody. <laughs> um, Really true. Yeah, did you like that one? Yeah. Um, Mark, Mark didn't get it. He, he's staring like in space. No, I'm just listening. <laughs> you didn't like my joke. Um, but it's really truly. He still doesn't know. He still doesn't know what's going on. I don't know what happened. I'm <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even listening. I think. Bad. I think really truly, there's it's. You can have, like, as many social media posts as you want, right? Or you can have as many propaganda campaigns that you want. Well, I shouldn't call it propaganda. Um, you can have as many advertisement campaigns as you want. But it's, like, the thing that's really going to change someone's mind is a personal connection, right? Yeah. Um, if you are actually friends with the person who says, hey, can I, can I have some human rights, please? <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's what's going to make people change their minds. Well, how, how can we do that, though? Because, like, for example, um, pretend there's this guy, Bob, and he's a mega racist. Yeah. Right? And then I, go to, I, try, to, I try to change Bob's opinion about yeah. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I just can't. And yeah. first of all, that's the number one reason. And the second reason is that I don't want, I don't want to talk to him. 
Yeah. Right? Also, you don't want to get like harmed. Yeah, I don't want to be like harmed. insulted. I don't want to be or, called because you know, mm-hmm. maybe something. he like Bob doesn't like <laughs> Mark. Bob or mega racist has like a giant gun in his house. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. go yeah. out talk to this guy. Yeah, yeah. This part of the reason why change doesn't really happen these days, right? right. Is because not only are we so disconnected, but it's hard to actually to interact with a lot of these people without feeling like you're physically in danger sometimes. Yeah. Mm. So it's, I think that's a big part of, part of the reason why, how do I say? Like the solution, if the solution is what I have just posed, right? There's a bunch of other, there's so much other things under that iceberg that need to be tackled before we can even start to do that sort of thing, right? Like the ways that our cities have us living alone, separate, or the ways that our gun control laws work, right? I don't wanna go talk to this guy, I'm afraid he might shoot me up, right? Um, All of these different things have to also be unpacked before we can even take the first step. Yeah. So there's like a lot of, you have to have the environment that will get the results that you want. I think about this all the time, right? It's like, if you want to do your homework, you got to go into a quiet room with your computer and it's got to be charged. Um, In the same way, it's like, if you want societal change, you need to be living in this environment that can allow change to occur. Mm -hmm. Which sort of makes the problem bigger than when we first looked at it. And I don't have solutions to that. Don't think about it too hard though, if it causes despair. Do you think Burroughs is doing a good job? I think oh. Burroughs is doing exactly what it can control, right? Like, you got to think, as they say, think globally, act locally. John Burroughs has a purview. It has a locus of effect that it can affect, right? Um, it can't go and go to Congress and change people's minds directly, right? Because John Burroughs mm-hmm. is a private in- independent school, right? Mm-hmm. What it can do is it can deal with the people who attend the school. And the same works for everybody else, right? Yeah. You can only affect the people that you're talking to. Um, I mean, yeah, that was a really dark and depressing conversation. Um, I think with, like, change, um, it's so hard because humans are just naturally stubborn. And mm. we, we can't really break that stubbornness yeah. because, you know, because of habitual stuff, like maybe like since childhood you were, you were told that this group of people did this or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully we can see some uh, change in the future. So Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for listening to the third episode of the Face to Face podcast. Uh, yeah. Follow our Instagram at, at F2F podcast uh make sure to give our podcast a five star on spotify um also uh thank you to miss hasselman for coming on the podcast Mm -hmm. we enjoyed having you it was a great conversation yeah conversation yeah good discussion thank you all right peace